0: A different city every night. Oh, I, I swear. The world Prepare for when I'm a billionaire.
1: It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business.
2: And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomklein. It's going to be a gigantic week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in with Jim Saliba, who's a certified coach, trainer, and public speaker with a bachelor's MBA and over 30 years of experience in the leadership world. Um, I know Jim's career began as a software engineer before being promoted to management in the IT industry, where he eventually became VP of a $4 billion tech company. Jim Sillito, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
2: It's an honor to have you. So I am curious, how did you get started in your leadership career? Um, Very impressive bio. Where did that begin?
0: Well, uh, as you said, I started out as a software engineer at one point. In my career, there was a big change within the organization and I became a manager. And not just a manager of one group, I was a manager with three managers under me with each of them having 10-ish people under them. So it was a jump into the deep end of the pool. Um, I wanted to do it right. So I started doing a lot of reading, uh, going to classes. And there was one book I read from Brian Tracy who said um, to invest 3% of your salary in yourself. And I started doing that, and, and it really helped me build my career and do a lot of learning. Uh, from there, I a became lot of a VC, as I told you, as you said.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's inspiring, and certainly uh, there's a lot of lessons about leadership right there. Um, but I, I want to dive into as we as we are now in mid Q1 of 2023, um, I want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about the reasons leaders fail to make an impact because I know you're really proud of helping and coaching others to lead and to, to make that impact. What are the most common reasons leaders fail?
0: The biggest reason that I see is many people get promoted within organizations for their technical expertise and not for their leadership. And we're not really training them and giving them the opportunity to learn how to lead. So what happens a lot, they come in as a leader with the attitude of I'm the smartest person in the room. I got here cause I do it right. So you should do it my way. And if, if you want to do things right, you have to do it yourself. The problem is that really limits you with the people who will follow you and how to scale.
2: That's for sure. And, you know, Jim, what I've been discovering is that the one constant is change. Um, Over These past few years, there have been just a a continuously evolving uh, dynamic. Certainly you've, you've developed your career in the IT space. Oh my gosh, look at how much that's changed, but look at COVID and how people are working. So when we talk about leadership, how can leaders continue to lead when the landscape has constantly shifted?
0: Well, you know, when uh, we talk about leaders, we often talk about the top skill sets that they need, and they talk about communication and and being able to do this and that. But I think the two things that are really on top is self-awareness and self-development. Because of what you said, the environment is always changing. So You need to be aware of what's going on and being able to go out there and change yourself. And so this intersection between business and technology that all of us are actually in um, is very interesting to me, but you need that awareness and self-development to really push it forward.
2: Interesting. And so Jim, um, what was that aha moment for you when you discovered not only perhaps were you a leader, but you were also developing other leaders. Where, where, where did that happen? And, and what are some of the advice that you can share?
0: You know, at uh, one point in my career, I, was, uh, I had people working for me. I built one, a one-on-ones that I had every week with them. And I had said in there, um, this is your meeting. Uh, you do the agenda, but at least once a month, we have to talk about personal development. Years went by, and I ended up moving from one group to another within this $4 billion company I was in. And I was telling my people goodbye because I'm going to another group. And one person said to me, well, I love that. I'm happy that you're doing this. I'll follow you anywhere if you need anything. And can we still have that once-a-month conversation for my self-development? That was the moment I said, I am now a leader that people will follow.
2: Inspiring indeed. Again, I'm chatting with Jim Saliba, a certified coach, trainer, and public speaker with a bachelor's, master's, and over 30 years of experience in the leadership world. Um, He's worked tirelessly to gain the knowledge and experience to become a leader employees wanted to follow. And that's exactly what we've been talking about over here. So Jim, I've been thinking a lot about, in preparation for this conversation, about transparency. Because you talk a lot about sort of uh, having being a leader that people will follow, but how can you also be authentic? Because the reality is that you, like all of us leaders, have bad days. And sometimes there are those days that, that you're just not on your A game. Where, what's that fine balance? And I know you talk a lot about executive presence. Where does that tie in?
0: Um, well, executive presence is really one of the things. I, I have this four quadrant module that I talk to leaders about when they're trying to upgrade themselves. Uh, vision and strategy, learning through execution, people process systems, and then executive presence. Uh, transparency, authenticism is one of the things I talk about in that executive presence. And you're right, I, I don't always have my A game. Nobody does. Um, But being truthful and open to people, they know when I'm not on my A-game. And I've been told, Jim, what's going on? You're not on your A-game today. And because I surround myself and I build a team that are not just like me, that are opposite of me, that are smarter than me, I have a team that surrounds me and builds me and allows me to be that authentic and off days because they have off days and I have their back when they do too.
2: I want to bring you one more angle into our conversation, Jim. Um, You know, you're talking about transparency. and I I love that explanation about just that, that authenticity, which is really, really important. You talk a lot about metrics and and Mm -hmm. using that metrics to, share uh, sort of that vision and and, and make sure you're, you're developing what I always call that common operating picture and so on. But what is the right balance of, of sharing the data with your team when you're leading and how much is too much?
0: Um, I'm transparent about all of it. I give all the metrics that I follow. I have metrics, not only about the business, but how we are performing as a team so we can talk about it. And it's really, not talking about the people and names, it's about problems we want to solve. So I'm open about all the metrics.
2: Well, that's, that's inspiring and that's uh, indeed, I'm sure how you have, uh, again, through the trenches, been, been able to uh, develop leaders at all uh, levels uh, and uh, size organizations. Again, I'm chatting with Jim Saliba, certified coach trainer. And public speaker, uh, quite inspiring. And I know I've taken a lot of notes in this conversation. I know our listeners are surely nodding vigorously throughout this conversation and want to get in touch with you. How can we do that, Jim?
0: Uh, Well, I have a website, jamesaliba.com. You can get to me there. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can follow me there. And I look at those every day. So if you leave me a message, I'll get back to you i have a blog that goes out every tuesday about different various leadership topics you can comment there and give me any suggestions on what you would like to have me blog about
2: well that's great uh because that's indeed who you are an authentic leader um and that's great i'm excited to uh subscribe myself uh in the conversation again uh, JamesSaliva.com. uh Jim, appreciate you uh, sharing your growth mindset, your leadership philosophy, um, and I can't wait to have you back on real soon. But you can always download all of our conversations, including um, with the one and only Jim Saliba over here on my website, shalomplan.com. Also, be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Mirabali from HealthPlanChicago.com. You can also give him a call, 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477 for free consultation as it relates to affordable care, uh, and, uh, and, uh, your health insurance coverage in 2023. Um, but be sure to get on your favorite podcast app and subscribe, rate, review, and share, because indeed that's the easiest way for you to not miss a single episode, uh, and be alerted when a new show drops on the pod. Um, but again, a quick break here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Jim Saliba, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be joined in just a few minutes as we continue our conversations all about small business jobs and entrepreneurships. Don't touch that dial, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I will say this, in the 10 years that I've been uh, hosting this show, I've only had um, folks come back onto the program just literally a handful of times, but uh, we're about to make history over here as I'm rejoined by Dr. Murray Saverin, who is, we were just chatting offline, who has written uh, yet another book over here. It's called The Finance of Healthcare, Wellness, and Innovative Approaches to Employee Medical Insurance. just came out in October of last year, and it provides business decision makers with the information that they need to match the optimal healthcare plan with the culture of their workforce. Murray, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Uh, Thank you, Shalom. It's great to be with you.
2: Absolutely. So I have been reading a little bit of the uh, big picture data over here. Americans spend more on medical care as a percentage of GDP than any other nation, period, And of the story. And for the decade of ending in 2020, insurance premiums rose 47% and deductibles uh, jumped nearly 69%. That is, that's pretty staggering indeed. Uh, Murray, how did you get uh, interested in this topic and uh, tell us a little bit about your expertise in this area?
3: Well, uh, When I was at Rampo College uh, back in the early 2000s, I hosted uh, uh, a day-long symposium on healthcare. And at that time, Senator John Corzine was the uh, keynote speaker. And then we had a a retired physician who was the founder of a nonprofit health center in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, was the luncheon speaker. And we had a panel discussion about this topic. And it always seemed to me that healthcare has gone in a much different direction than when I was growing up in the 1950s in New York City when we didn't have Medicare, we didn't have Medicaid, we hardly had any insurance. My father had a major operation and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield took care of it. And then it was at a, it was at a uh, large New York City hospital. But when we went to the doctor, it was basically you pay your uh, $5, $7 visit, you get a prescription if you needed one, filled it at the local pharmacy, no insurance forms, no co-pays, no deductibles and the average working person could get uh, quality medical care without having to go through the hoops of uh, insurance companies or the uh, government through Medicare and Medicaid. And so that has, that system has now changed dramatically, where now the plan, the insurance plan is is the foremost uh, uh, component of healthcare, as opposed to the doctor-patient relationship.
2: Indeed, a lot has changed. So uh, you, you talk in, in the book again. It's called the Finance of Healthcare: Wellness and Innovative Approaches to Employee Medical Insurance. Um, with it's not just the history; it also talks about a uh, sort of a, a a concept, an idea uh, that, again, as we said, will provides business decision makers with information that they need to match their healthcare plan with the culture of their workforce. But uh, it's interesting. You talked about some of the some of the experiences that you've had uh, growing up over here. Um, but what are some of the low cost, high quality um, medical care options that you're seeing now in this uh, in 2023 and beyond that our listeners should be paying attention to and that you address in your in your fantastic read?
3: Well, one of the things that I came across, which I didn't realize was was around, but it was, it's essentially similar to what we had back in the 50s and 60s. It's called direct primary care, where an individual or family would contract with a doctor pay a monthly fee, very low according to the research I've done, and you'd get access to the doctor virtually 24-7. It's almost like concierge medicine, and, and there would be no waiting in the waiting room. You'd make an appointment, and the doctor would see you virtually instantaneously when you went to the waiting room as opposed to uh, the traditional policy where you may have to wait up to an hour to see the doctor. Even though you may have appointment at two o'clock, you may not see the doctor till three o'clock. So that's one way that employees are companies can contract with local uh, doctors to do that or uh, or individuals can do that on their own if they don't have uh, uh, employer-based health insurance so that's a low-cost way of getting quality care where the doctors will do blood results they may have prescription drugs available to them at low cost and from the doctors i've spoken to uh, it's very inexpensive and you get quality care because the doctor can spend more time with you in a direct primary care practice than a regular traditional practice because you have to see more and more patients because of deductibles and reimbursement by the insurance companies. So again, uh, the, the insurance companies, the employer, the government has interfered with the doctor-patient relationship, which is essentially a contractual relationship where you pay and get qu- and quality service. And so I would like to see that expanded across the country and uh, have insurance for the purpose that it's uh, necessary, that is to take care of the big ticket items where it would bankrupt the family, but even that can be reduced dramatically by having these surgery centers pop up all over the country. And the example I use in the book is the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which charges a fraction of what the hospitals charge for major operations. So we have a a model, if you will, of direct primary care and surgery centers that would really reduce the cost of healthcare from the $4 trillion we're spending today to probably half uh, and save $2 trillion.
2: Absolutely, and I know. Um, and if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about some of the wellness programs and and some other options as well. But I I mentioned the term culture, company culture, which sometimes dictates the most appropriate healthcare coverage. Murray, why why are those two uh, uh, ideas interconnected and related?
3: Well, the, every, as we know, every company has a culture, whether it's from top down or from bottoms up. Uh, people are used to doing a certain way of business in their organization. And so the key thing is for the uh, management and the employees, whether it's a small business or a medium-sized business or even a large corporation, to really get together and say, listen, this is what people expect as an employee. They expect the employer to provide uh, healthcare insurance. I like to call it medical insurance because you're basically paying for medical bills and see what is the best way to do so that would provide quality care and reduce the premiums, which goes right to the bottom line for every dollar that the company can save in premiums, that goes right to the bottom line in profits, or they can do profit sharing with individuals, with the employees. And so it's a win-win for everyone. And there are organizations that are doing that through self-insured mechanisms where they have a third party administer the program. And uh this way we can get those healthcare costs down because we are so over the top in healthcare costs in this country that it's really undermining our international competitive since uh, countries around the world spend a fraction of what we do here. And wellness programs have become an integral part of the, of the workplace because um, sadly, 40% of American adults are obese. Uh, uh, six out of 10 Americans have, a, have an, a chronic condition. Four out of 10 Americans, uh, adults, have two or more chronic conditions. These are very expensive to deal with. And so wellness becomes an integral part of getting the American people back to better health, which would reduce uh, medical costs dramatically.
2: No question about it. Again, I'm chatting with seasoned author and finance expert, Dr. Murray Sabrin, who's an Emeritus Professor of Finance at Rambo College of New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Sabrin is considered a public intellectual for writing about the economy in scholarly and public and popular publications. Again, his new book, The Finance of Healthcare, Wellness and Innovative Approaches to Employee Medical Insurance, which came out in 2022. Uh, We've been chatting a little bit about uh, some of the uh, low cost, high quality medical care options, talked about culture and just briefly touched a little bit on the uh, on the wellness programs as well. So what is the key takeaway, Murray, that you're hoping um, readers of your book and listeners to our program walk away um, when they read the finance of healthcare, What are some of the action items that you're hoping to inspire them with?
3: Well, I think one thing is information. The more information you have, the better decisions you can make. And that really means the HR people have to go out there and see what's available in the marketplace. We know uh, many c- companies are self-insuring, but the question is, with that self-insurance, are there ways that they can cut down on their costs as well to give the employees a better uh, uh, medical care, healthcare experience? And uh, I would say this is this is a, a foundational issue that companies need to address because uh, healthcare costs are just uh, going off the charts in terms of uh, what it costs. And uh, then government regulation comes in and that distorts the market even more. And so we need to go back to a free market, which I've been advocating for decades, which would uh, balance supply and demand and put the doctor-patient uh, relationship at the forefront instead of what plan is, is it more appropriate for, for an, uh, mm-hmm. a company?
2: Well, that's a strong message. Um, Murray, there's uh, a lot more that we can talk about and a lot more that people will see if they check out the book and your website. How can people get in touch with you and pick up a copy of this fantastic read?
3: Well, I, uh, I have a Substack column, murraysabron.substack.com. And what I do there is try to come up with solutions that deal with a lot of these issues, whether it's uh, healthcare, social security, education, housing, transportation, monetary policy. And uh, I write there twice a week. And uh, hopefully I will have a podcast in the near future where I'll spend more time on some of these issues. Uh, the bo- uh, My books are available on Amazon. Uh, and uh, just Google my name and all the books that I've written in the past few years will, will come up.
2: All the books, and I'm sure many more in the future as well. Dr. Murray Sabrin, thank you so much for joining us, murraysabrin.com. And again, uh, check out uh, the Finance of Healthcare, Wellness, and Innovative Approaches to Employee, Medical Insurance, and all of the other books, as we were just saying. I'll link through our show notes as well. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break for some headlines, commercials. um, And when we come back, we've got a lot more small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about women in business. Um, So there's a lot more in store. Don't touch that dial. You're listening. Get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm so excited to be joined by Martha Razzo, um, who is just an inspiring, inspiring author, inspiring entrepreneur, inspiring uh, leader, and uh, she is the author of Business Diva. So, Martha, welcome to the program. I want to just dive right in because our time is short. What prompted you to write this fantastic book and uh, and and get authors to contribute to this fantastic read?
4: Well, I love business. I I'm actually have the p- privilege of being in many different businesses, uh, from industrial to food to consulting, finance. And what I found is there is, a, there is a similar formula to all of them. And I enjoy every aspect of business. It's the best pr- math problem I've ever had to solve. There are many solutions and there are optimal solutions. So I love business. And also what I've realized is that as humans, we limit ourselves. So putting Business Diva together, bringing 22 women that are entrepreneurs and talking about their entrepreneurship path, their failures, their successes and how they got to open their business really is going to open the mind of the reader of what they're capable of and give them hopes of following their dreams and even though it's difficult anything that's challenging is going to have its reward at the end
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely i'm already deeply deeply inspired by this again i'm chatting with the author of a fantastic read business diva stories women leading in business because that's exactly what you're doing martha and uh, so many of your colleagues as well um, and I know that uh, things are uh, just getting started. In the book, you have, I believe it's 22 women um, that are featured um, in this fantastic read. Names far too numerous to, uh, to go through on the program. What kind of stories can our listeners and your readers um, find in Business Diva?
4: Well, you hear from everything. It's very inspiring. One of the authors, Jeron Bauer, she started her business about 53 years old when she launched her business. And now she's the her company is the one responsible for putting all the electrical wires for Comet. Um, you have Eliud Guzman who, who has restaurants opening all over the Illinois area. I mean, she has them in Cicero, she has one in Wicker Park. So you hear stories from every industry here. And these women are coming from all over the US. There are some representing Texas, New York, California. I mean, this is a very di- diverse group of women from industry, from where they're coming from and from their experiences.
2: No question about it, they're coming from all over and their stories are inspiring in so many different ways, folks that are involved in all sorts of different industries, which is fascinating. So. Martha, one of the things that we love to leave our listeners with all the time is a key takeaway, a homework assignment, if you will. What are some of the takeaways that you want people to have um, as, they, as they read Business Diva?
4: Very fast takeaway is if you have that dream, because as young, as kids, we always have a dream. What are you waiting for? Take the first step. That's what, it's, that's what it takes to take that first step. Um, use these resources, This book. Grab the book, buy it on Amazon, and read every story. And if you want to start your own business, reach out to any of the 22 authors. They'll be open to have that conversation of where to get started, how to start your business plan. I invite you to take that next leap if you've wanted to open a business.
2: Martha, I I love it. Uh, Again, I'm chatting with Martha Rezzo, um, the author of Business Diva, um, uh, Stories of Women Leading in Business. It's uh, 22 women um, that are making huge impacts around the country. So Martha, as we quickly come to the conclusion of our time, before we again remind people where they can pick up a copy of the book, Martha, I'm curious, just being the the veteran entrepreneur that you are, what is the number one tip that you have for, for uh, somebody tuning in uh, to get down to business that's thinking of getting into their own line of work, their own entrepreneurial enterprise, if you will?
4: You know, this sounds very cliche, but it's truth. You're Network is your net worth. Um, I invite everyone who's starting a business to really network because that's how you're going to meet your potential clients, potential people who will help you along the way in the path. There's going to be different stages where you will need different people and you really need those. So I'm actually inviting everyone to come to the Accelerator Business Summit. This is a summit that I'm organizing To bring all businesses and bring them all the information that they need as a business owner. From marketing, um, sales, communications, business law, insurance, financing, capital. Everything a business owner needs to know from the beginner entrepreneur to the higher level executive. This summit is going to bring the information you need. We already have 30 speakers confirmed in that night of September one. We're going to have the second Business Diva book launch. So it's two amazing events on the same setting, the Accelerator Business Summit.
2: I'm so excited for it, Um, Martha. I know one of the key takeaways that people will have is not only to uh, uh, pick up a copy of the book, um, but also to come out to that summit. Um, But how, again, can we find Business Diva stories of women leading in business?
4: Find a book on Amazon. Really easy. Type Business Diva book and you will find it, it's just $20, and it will change your life.
2: Not too many books can promise that, but uh, I'm very confident in that. Uh, Martha Reza, thank you so much for joining us and inspiring us with your stories and the stories of 22 other fantastic women. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break here on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You can go to my website, shalomkline.com. We'll be right back on the program. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm super excited to uh, jump into a really, really important topic with Rob Matthews, Executive Director of the Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute at Bell University. Um, Rob is the co-author of Design-Centered centered Entrepreneurship, um, which came out uh, last year, which provides a research-driven, step-by-step approach to creative problem solving. And um, really the reason I was excited for this conversation as we sort of are still in New Year's-ish time frame is that we know that entrepreneurs are challenged with uncovering real problems, designing real solutions, but often folks make mistakes along the way. So Rob, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: Absolutely. So I am curious, um, story behind what uh, drove you into the world of Entrepreneurship. How did you become passionate about this topic and get around to writing this book?
1: Oh gosh, uh, a couple of a couple of things earlier in my life, I would say. Uh, I grew up in a, a family business, and I understood the struggle of that. My my dad had uh, four grocery stores, two hardware stores, and and uh, you know it it's tough. It's a tough life, but you it becomes a part of who you are. So that was one thing. Uh, that drove me to have an interest and kind of my heart to be there. The other thing was uh, when I came to Ball State University as a student, uh, Dr. Don Karatko and his passion for the topic and his credibility around it uh, really just ignited me to be interested in, in doing my own ventures, but also uh, helping people pursue their dreams. Well, let's dive a little bit
2: deeper into this. Um, turning, you know, taking dreams turning into realities. So, in what ways do some of the most innovative companies that you see go from idea to action? You've been studying this quite literally. You've been documenting it. What do our listeners need to know?
1: Yeah, I think there's, I think there's two key things. Uh, the first one is you really have to involve your people. You have to engage them. You have to value their perspectives. Uh, you know Walt Disney when he was uh, confronted with a his biographer uh, who was waiting for him while he was talking to a, a group of custodians. Uh, the, the biographer, when they were finished, he said, "Why do you why are you talking to the custodians?" And he said, "Because they see things and hear things that I will never see and hear, and their perspective is incredibly valuable." And so I think that's number one is valuing each employees and customers and partners and vendors perspective. The second thing is putting a process to it, uh, kind of balancing what we call chaotic tension, which is the the idea of entrepreneurial chaos. You can't live in that very long when it's chaos. Uh, You also can't live in extreme uh, under extreme rules, systems, processes that have no flexibility. So you have to find the middle ground but if you want to propel new ideas, new ventures corporately, then you, you need a process to take it there, to, to actually be able to vet and fund and be okay with, with some failure and to get it to market.
2: Again, I'm chatting with Rob Matthews, Executive Director of the Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute at Ball University. Um, and uh, together with co-authors, written design-centered entrepreneurship second edition, um, which we'll talk about after the break, um, but it came out just a couple of months ago, provides a research-driven step-by-step approach to creative problem solving. Rob, you mentioned some of the chaos that takes place in entrepreneurship. what, What do you believe are some of the greatest skills that many entrepreneurs, including many probably that are tuning into this program, have that they should sort of embrace, acknowledge, and leverage?
1: Yeah, I think what drives entrepreneurs, at least in our research, we found most people who want to start a business do have some kind of creative, creative edge to them. Now, that that's not everybody, but uh, that's kind of the starting point. And then from there, it's a lot of it's persistence. It's just the ability to grind it out and stay passionate. It's the ability to network, to involve other people, uh, to, to embrace change. Realize that you you don't have to be perfect, your idea doesn't have to be perfect, but you need to be open to new suggestions, what the market is telling you, what your employees are telling you, what your vendors are telling you, etc.
2: Well, that's uh, certainly very important. Earlier in the program, we talked uh, a lot about um, leadership, and we're going to continue that conversation and talking about how leaders can foster an entrepreneurial culture and environment. But real quick, before we have to cut to a quick commercial I'm curious. What are some of the ways that entrepreneurs and corporate innovators can and should fact find? I know you talk about that in your book.
1: Yeah. So, if you if you identify a problem in the market, and you say, "Okay, we're taking this to market," the problem with that is you haven't talked to the customer enough. You need to fact find and see what what not only what their problem is, but get the emotions behind it, get the frustrations behind it, the waste of time the waste of energy the waste of resources so that you can talk you could speak their language when you market and you can develop a, a solution that fits what will actually solve their problems emotionally and uh, a lot of entrepreneurs they get so hung up on their product or the way they're going to do business their business model that they forget uh, hey I need to check with the customer and see if this is what they really want and and really even deeper actually Develop the product based on what the market is telling you, what kind of market feedback you're getting. Oh, yeah. Well, again, these
2: are some really good reminders, and we've got a lot more in store in our conversation with Rob Matthews, again, Executive Director of the Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute at Ball University and the co author of Design Centered Entrepreneurship. Um, we've got to Squeeze in a very quick break. We're going to talk about leadership, we're going to talk about some of the mistakes. Um, that entrepreneurs sometimes make. Uh, and of course, we'll get our listeners over to this fantastic reader listening to Get Down to Business, a show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, but we will be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. As always, you can get on my website, shellandcarn.com. That's where you can download past 10 plus years of shows, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Speaking of entrepreneurship, I'm continuing my conversation with Rob Matthews, co-author of Design-Centered Entrepreneurship, um, just uh, released a second edition, um, and it provides a research-driven step-by-step approach to creative problem solving. So, Rob, we've already been talking a little bit in our conversation about entrepreneurs and some of the uh, strengths that they have. But I'm curious, what are some of the common mistakes that you see uh, together with your co-authors um, when uh, trying to solve a marketplace problem and trying to make big money?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we've already touched on these a little bit, but to go a little bit deeper, one thing would be I see a lot of entrepreneurs that we work with and, and with our students who they take a what I would call a, an operations approach to starting a business, so they want to build the perfect business, like that it operates perfectly Uh, would be one thing or a product based business. And so what what we mean by that is they build in their mind what the perfect business is, but they haven't actually built it up based on what the the customer, the potential customer, the the person with the problem uh, is telling them they are looking for. So that's one thing we see a lot of. The other thing I would say we see a lot of is just pride and I don't, I don't mean that that entrepreneurs you know, are just prideful. I, I just think it's the difference between humility and pride of a hiring people and co- bringing people alongside on your your founding team. And as you grow, who are different than, than you, who complement your your talents, your strengths, uh, your, your preferences, what you like to do in the business and, and just listening, just being open. Like we always say, feedback is a gift. And if you if you embrace that, it's a lot easier to be successful.
2: No question about it. So, Robin, the uh, last minute or so that we have remaining, uh, I'm curious if you can give us the 60 second takeaway for leaders uh, to help them foster an entrepreneurial culture and environment for success.
1: Uh, value your people. Give them the right tools to, to do their job. Uh, listen, listen. Uh, re- Value their their inputs to a point where you say, hey, let's explore that. Uh, why don't you lead that process? So you, you don't have to do everything as a leader. You don't have to be in charge of everything as a leader. You really just have to balance the idea of how do we have some normalcy in the business because and systems and processes, because that's how we're gonna be able or afforded to grow, but also balance that with a little bit of a little bit of uneasiness and a little bit of entrepreneurial chaos, because that's where the energy is. And you wanna keep that going. You never want to stop innovating or stop problem solving.
2: Well, Rob, I think uh, you've accomplished what you needed to over here because I'm inspired. I've got that entrepreneurial bug now and I wanna get a copy of that book, Design-Centered Entrepreneurship and uh, continue learning from you um, and your colleagues uh, at the Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute at at Ball University. Um, Rob, how can we get in touch with you and how can we find the book?
1: Yeah, the book is on Amazon. And uh, so that's one option that's easy. Our, our websites, because there's three authors, uh, Mind2, the number two, Momentum.com, uh, AmbassadorProfile.com would be a good one, and ElProfile.com would also be a good one.
2: Fantastic. And we'll link through the show notes to all of those websites as well as, of course, through Amazon to make sure people can easily pick up a copy of the book and I've learned um, from talking to so many authors and of course entrepreneurs where there's one business idea, there's going to be another where there's one great read. There's going to be another as well. So Rob, I know we'll be staying in close contact and I can't wait to you back on real soon. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. And as always, I encourage our listeners to hit the subscribe button, rate, review and share on your favorite podcast app. So you don't miss a single episode from the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 PM right here on AM 560. Uh, the answer in Chicago or wherever your favorite podcast can be found. Um, And until then, again, get on my website, shalomcline.com. But to success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next week. And I look forward to hearing from all of our listeners about the amazing week that you're creating ahead in your uh, business and entrepreneurial environments. Have a great week.